Whether I'm turkey hunting, scouting, or glassing for game, I never go into the woods without my Vortex Optics. With their VIP warranty, I can go with confidence because it'll replace any glass damaged in the woods. I dropped my binoculars out of the deer stand last fall, and Vortex got me fixed up and back in the tree in no time. Vortex makes the highest quality and affordable rangefinders, binoculars, and scopes on the market. Y'all check them out at vortexoptics.com. Beaver Lake was actually in the early 90s was the fourth best striper lake. Fourth best striper was, lake in the yeah, country? In the, yeah, in the country. Okay, wow. And it was not unusual to go out and catch two or three 20-pound stripers. In fact, if you didn't catch a 20-pound striper, it's kind of disappointing. You're listening to the Ozark Podcast, presented by Inland. We sit down with men and women from the Ozarks that have a passion for the outdoors. Our aim is to listen, learn, and pass along their knowledge and experiences to help you become a better outdoorsman. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Kyle Lee. Welcome back for another episode of the Ozark Podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Veet, and I am joined by frequent co-host of the show and my buddy, Adam Treese. How are you? I'm good. Frequent is a pretty loose term. It's been pretty in- infrequent for it me this year. It has, man. It's, it's been a while. All of our listeners have been wondering. You've got, you know, yeah, all of the hun- fans. hundreds of fans <laughs> just asking me, where's Adam? Where'd he go? Yeah. Where you been? Um, I just haven't been on the show, honestly. Um, been just busy this summer and you guys have been killing it with the guests you know fly fishing if you've listened enough fly fishing and fishing more particular is the two kyle's expertise so um just i'm ready for hunting season honestly it's finally august and we're about a month month and a half away yeah yeah so we're getting close we're starting to switch switch gears when i i was telling you on the way out here to meet with our guests who we'll introduce here in a second we're i was talking you know, I went into Bass Pro the other day, and I was like, okay, do I go left to the hunting section, or do I go right and go to the fishing section? And I'm just now getting to the point where it's like, I probably need to start looking at the hunting section. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good time of year when you do, though. Yeah. 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 So, all that to say, hopefully I'll be I'll be getting back on more frequently as hunting season comes up. So, hopefully you guys like listening to my voice. Hopefully yeah. so. <laughs> hopefully so. Uh, and so... So we're out here. We we drove outside, just a little bit outside of Northwest Arkansas today, um, and we're out on Beaver Lake, and that's because we are joined uh, by local fishing guide on Beaver Lake and actually a host of his own podcast, the Fishing Guide Podcast, uh, Mr. Brad Wiegman. There you go. How are you? God, I feel old when you say Mr. Brad Wiegman. I say Mr. <laughs> to everybody I introduce. Right. It's, a, it's respect. I'm doing great. You know, it's pretty exciting to have the opportunity to have someone else you know, come out with their podcast and actually sit on our uh, sit on our deck yeah. and uh, shoot the podcast show. And actually, if if the listeners could tell, right in the background, uh, the White River Arm, where it meets into uh, Warrigal, the confluence of the two rivers meet just up here, about two miles from my house. And oh, so really? The lake is actually uh, right here, and so we could uh, we could do the show, and then we could uh, walk down there and do some. Uh, Throw some uh, top waters and Heck try yeah. and catch some fish, and so uh, let's hurry up and get done with this. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah. let's hope they don't start breaking. If yeah. you hear a great big pause, yeah, like in the show, <laughs> like about twenty minutes, and then you hear us come back, and yeah, our lures, or spinner baits, that would be funny. Clacking. We can get Daniel to zoom in the video in the background, yeah. like us Ooh. over on the dock, just taking a break to go fishing. Yeah. This wow. is a this is a beautiful place you got here, though. Yeah, well, this is an awesome it. spot. And you were saying there's not a whole lot of places on Beaver that have this kind of shallow 
uh, walkout. Yeah, the grade the is just mm-hmm. really an easy grade. Mm-hmm. So uh, my hope is to uh, stay here until my last dying day. There you go, and man. They'll have to just scrape me off something down that <laughs> way because I don't want to leave. And and it's crazy because um, you know when my daughters and us when when we be eating. And if we saw the fish breaking, literally we would all stop eating <laughs> and we'll run down and fish oh, and man. catch them schooling and then awesome. we'll come back. And so it's it's funny that, like, I guess my kids were used to it. Like, like when my kids were growing up, I would pick them up with the boat and, and the trailer, you know, boat, trailer, and the truck, and I'd be in line. Mm. You know, and back there, there wasn't as many soccer moms, but still there's all the moms that are in line, and, and here's dad. He pulls <laughs> up, and the girls would get out, and, and and when they got older, of course, it'd be like, oh, dad, don't do that. Don't bring the boat <laughs> And then I think they got a little older, and then they're like getting a better choice of uh, the young men because dad was bringing the boat. Probably right. so. Yeah. The, yeah. All the dudes are like, I want to hang out with her. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but but it was always interesting that, that life on the lake, you always hear about life on the lake and, and being a guide, uh, a lot of times I take people out and, and I hear a lot of the same thing and, and they're always like, man, I would, I would just love to do this. Yeah. I, and I always say, you know, the opportunities there, you just, you just have to decide that you're going to do it and actually just quit your job and go and do it. Yeah. I mean, it's actually a big leap just, of faith. It's a leap of the faith, but if, if you're really, like if you're really serious about it, at some point you'll find a way of doing it. Mm. And so, mm-hmm. I actually uh, got super lucky uh, when I first started out guiding. I was able to guide uh, while I was working uh, at the hospital, and then uh, uh, and then I guided uh, for um, full time for. Uh, well, I still guide, but but now I don't do it as much full time. Yeah. As I'm still getting, I'm still getting a bunch of days on the water, but I'm gone doing other stuff, and that other stuff is all usually fishing related. So right. It's, you know, people are like, "You're gone," and I'm like, "You know what I learned when I was gone? You know, I learned a lot of things, and so I get the opportunity to go with with professional anglers, and and guys that." You know, they know these tricks, these little tricks, and then I find these little tricks. I come back. I apply them in my fishing thing. I learn how to do different things. But it's kind of cool when when you're close enough here to the water that that every day is, every day I go fishing when I'm home. Yeah. Like, literally, I went out this morning and went fishing. That's incredible. So That's awesome. The the trend continues, but, but when... When you're close to the water like this, you see as the seasons, you're talking about hunting. So when you start talking about hunting, I'm like, yeah, mm. that's awesome because that means less boats on the water. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Most guys that, that hunt, they fish. Yeah. And guys that fish hunt. Right. I mean, right. It goes that way. And yeah. So people just like being so, outside a, yeah. a lot of times, just especially around here. Yeah. yeah. You're like you said, kind of a, you said uh, when we were talking with on your podcast, right. uh, seasonal outdoorsman. Seasonal outdoorsman. That doesn't yeah. mean that I'm partially an outdoorsman right. some of the yes. year. It means that it, it depends on the you season. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. And that's kind of what I do. I go seasonal fishing. Like when the stripers come down, I can catch them on top water or they're more active mm-hmm. or even in the dead of winter when they're still here. Yeah. Like just right there. Like I'll fish for them. 
But I also tell people that's when I fish for them. So then otherwise I'm fishing for something else. Yeah. But my my break, I guess my break that happened was um, I had clientele, but I took out Keith Sutton, who's a famous outdoor rider, uh, Joe Mosley, who was the main writer for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, and Steve Wright, who now writes for Bass, mm-hmm. B-A-S-S. Well, he was the local guy. And I took them out on, it was a writer's event. And I took them out, and from that event, whenever they needed stories and it had to do with the Ozarks or they wanted something, I would come up with something so they could write an article about me. Yeah, gotcha. And so at one point, I had saved all the magazines that I'd been in that people had written about me. Not the even the ones I'd written, but just the ones people had written about me that was in Field and Stream, Outdoor Life, and, and all the big magazines and, mm. and had been in there. And uh, it filled, it it actually like almost filled my closet. Dang. And so I literally had to, I took, I saved some of them and then the rest of them, uh, I just let them go. And of course, the trouble is a lot of that, it didn't make it into print. I'm lucky because I think I'm the only person uh, to ever be featured twice for a location in Bassmaster Magazine. That's pretty uh, cool. Featured for Beaver Lake and also for Swebco. Okay. Wow. And so uh, that's my claim to fame. And then some of the articles that were in Bassmaster Magazine was about uh, wake baits. Is like, that's my addiction. That's my crack. Yeah. That's my Kool-Aid. <laughs> really? <laughs> wake that's baits? That's my Kool-Aid uh, wake baits. Yeah. And uh, actually uh, made some wake baits. I modified wake baits for mm. some pros, but... I usually I don't do that now. It takes about forty five minutes to do. And, yeah, uh, so I don't. That's cool. I don't do that anymore. But but and there's a lot better. There's a lot of good wake baits that are out there. But but that was my break. That yeah. was that was there and and so um, that was the start of of life. Was just the fortunate to take those people out. Right. And and the writers wrote about it and they would come. They would like Keith Sutton his kids. Uh, caught their first stripers with me, mm-hmm. caught their biggest stripers with me, you know, at one point. And so um, they had lots of photos and they would write uh, lots of articles. So normally do a lot of focus on uh, bass, like white bass and, yeah. and uh, spots, large mouth, small mouth. Heck yeah. Uh, and then uh, the whites, uh, the hybrids, they're not stocking anymore unless they slip through the cracks. And so now we have uh, mostly stripers and... Uh, and uh, and whites, and so yeah. obviously without a limit on uh, white bass on Beaver Lake, it tells you there's a large population. There's of a them. big population, yeah, and they're they're great to catch. So I'm I'm more someone that's more uh, active. Like when I take people out to guide, I like people to catch fish. I like people to catch mm-hmm. lots of fish. Yeah, yeah, that's and so that's always more fun it, when you're. Pulling is that what you'll see right? surfing down here, white bass? Yeah, everything will surface down there. Okay. Yeah. Uh, my one daughter cut a twenty-five pound striper from shore. What? She had a she had <laughs> Just right there. Uh, she caught it on the point right there. Right up there. And uh, she had a Shakespeare hat on it. It's that ugly, uh, I think, red and yellow hat. <laughs> and so at that time, um, I was sponsored uh, by them. Mm-hmm. And so uh, and so they used that photo and like now you can do a search and you can find it. And if there was some way she could figure out. <laughs> To get that off the internet, she yeah. would she would do it because the ugly hat. Because <laughs> yeah, it was not. It was it was 
it was not <laughs> nice. It was it was an ugly hat. And so, uh, and we've caught we've caught um, lots of stripers. We caught a gazillion white bass out there and blacks mm. and stuff. Yeah, and so that's awesome. I know, still have yet to catch my first striper. Yeah, I, mean, I I've never caught a striper. You'll before. have to go out with me. I and, want to. Uh, I just have yeah. never had the chance to. You'll have to go out and. Um, and go fishing. So usually striper fishing, I usually start doing it about the th- after the third week of October. Okay. I think the soonest uh, around that October 17th, you got to do it after that. Yeah. Uh, the lake has turnover. Water temperatures usually need to be about 67 degrees. Okay. Gotcha. And so, but, but we're really fortunate. Uh, like this spring, I did some trips, uh, a few walleye trips. I usually don't do those because it's harder because I won't use crawler harnesses. And that's actually what a person should be doing. But I was on them so good with jerk baits that I was, was doing some with that. And yeah. I don't do a whole lot of uh, crappie uh, guide trips right now when i get older and i'm not traveling uh then i'll i'll do more but but um right now I, i'm really limit that because to tell you the truth i don't like cleaning fish <laughs> and so cleaning 45 fish you know i could be writing an article or that's a lot of fish yeah because yeah. that's but, mainly what people enjoy when they go right, exactly fish is right. just, I, I don't blame them i, I yeah. keep fish all the time we actually my wife and i we do a lot of kayak fishing right here and and we'll go out and kayak and and catch our fish that's what we eat mm-hmm. like literally our fish are like you clean them goes to the sink they get washed farm to you, table and then yep well in this case lake to lake table, to table. Lake to yeah table. i like it well, and then I'm, depending on the water level the walk could be a lot shorter because where you <laughs> see those trees are oh, that's yeah. where it's been the last five years comes up pretty yeah. close to the house Pass. yeah mm comes comes way up there so. yeah well i'm i'm excited to, i'm excited to have you on we we have focused a lot on um fly fishing for the most part on our podcast but right. it's mainly just because that's kind of what i do and those are some of the people that i know but i'm excited because i haven't had a whole lot of um, traditional tackle people kind of in my network to reach out to and so uh glad to have you on to kind of talk about that because that is a big part of outdoorsmen in the ozarks is going out and fishing like beaver lake or bull shoals or some of these lakes and ponds highland here. reservoirs yeah mm-hmm. exactly so um so excited to talk with you about some of those things what you've kind of made a name for yourself for over the years you've been on beaver since uh, 1989 yeah. guiding guiding yeah. and um and you have kind of made a name for yourself in terms of teaching people how to fish electronics right yep and so that's one of the things that we want to get into and talk with you about is how do you fish electronics? What what do you need to know? What are the right questions to even ask? A lot of that stuff, I don't know about it. That's why I brought right. my buddy Adam here because there you go. he's <laughs> a little know. bit more uh, schooled in the in the realm of kind of traditional tackle. So, um, right. so that's what yeah. we want to cover. But before we get to all that, uh, how did you end up here in Arkansas and how did you end up guiding uh, on, on Beaver Lake? Okay, so great story. Uh, um Went to college up in uh, Iowa, and uh, even my brother and and my wife went to uh, the same college. But uh, they have interims, which is like when you have two weeks where you can you would take a course, and you could take courses like on the go, and you're supposed to read stuff or probably study. I don't remember, <laughs> but uh, uh, but uh, we come down to Arkansas because my one roommate they lived in Bella Vista, and we come down here and we play tennis. And then one time we just went out to the lake and I'm like, a boat drove by. I'm like, you know, this is January. What are they doing out there? <laughs> yeah, it's cold. 
And the, and the dude goes, and someone stand on shore and goes, just stand here a second. Here they had, uh, they had had a tournament, and it's probably 40 or 50 boats, and they all went by. Mm. And I was like, ka-ching, dude, I'm, uh, I'm into this deal. Yeah. So, uh, and I always loved uh, love fishing. If they would have had high school fishing when I was younger, you know, I would have at least finished 10th grade, maybe. <laughs> but I wouldn't have got any farther than that. So I've always <laughs> had this passion for fishing. No matter what, I've always had this passion. Even when I was in college, I'd still go fishing. Before right. it was cool to go fishing yeah. and be on a, a team. They didn't have teams. It was like, you're going fishing? I'm like... Yeah, and I might even bring some fish back to clean on our little heating plate. So anyway, <laughs> we came down here, got that exposure and the weather being just beautiful, you know, 50, 50 degrees or 45. That's like awesome when you're from Iowa. Yeah, it's a lot different than back you home for you. Three foot of snow and ice and, and you're down here and playing tennis in your shorts. Oh, man. Walking around. And so we, uh, um, before, just right before we got married, um, uh, my wife and I, we moved down. She moved down. Um, I guess I was down a little bit before that. I worked in a hospital with uh, with um, adolescents, adolescents okay. at a psych hospital, psych and uh, chemical dependency. And so uh, that job is kind of really stressful. They give you lots of days off. Okay. Because they need to have you stay working there. And so I got so many days off that on my days off, I went fishing. It was like that was got my father-in-law. Yeah, I got my father-in-law's boat, and so I just go out in my father-in-law's boat. So it was a borrowed boat at first, and so that was the deal. And on, actually, on the way home, I would swing by the twin bridges, and I would go fishing. Yeah. And then I'd fish there before my wife got home, and then <laughs> when she got home after we eat, then I go fishing here. Yeah. And so I bet you always had fish in the freezer. Yeah, actually. Um, we do have some fish in there right now, but we actually catch our fish fresh. So most of the time it is literally So you're just like... I guess like, you're so close. You don't even need to put them in the freezer. You just catch what you can eat that night. You just usually catch what we're going to eat yeah. uh, or the next day we're going to eat okay. or someone's coming out to eat. Yeah. And so, so it ended up that uh, I was... I caught a lot of fish. And so my friends said, like one of them said, you should be a guy. And I didn't hear he said, like, oh, you should take people out fishing. It's not as much fun. It's work. I didn't hear that part. Yeah. I just heard, <laughs> yeah. man, get to make a living at yeah. it. Yeah, fish on. all day. And so, uh, and so I went from, uh, from working uh, at the hospital, stopped there, and then uh, I worked with my father-in-law, but I had a very liberal work schedule. It was very liberal. And so I didn't show up like in the month of November and stuff like that because the fishing was so good. Mm. Beaver Lake was actually in the early 90s was the fourth best striper lake. Uh, and it was not unusual to go out and catch two or three 20-pound stripers. In fact, if you didn't catch mm. a 20-pound striper, it's kind of a disappointing day. Really? Wow. And they had numbers, and it was pretty phenomenal because there wow. wasn't the number of people out fishing for mm. them. And so that was fourth best striper was, lake in the yeah, country. In the yeah, in the country. Okay, wow. And so uh, now, like Washita now is a better lake for bigger fish. Has more and bigger fish, but it's more isolated. Mm. And that's the key is because the population right. and the number of people that are fishing for it. Mm -hmm. Also, the information of how to catch them is is better, and also electronics. 
And so all that has made it so that the average size of of stripers has decreased probably, I think it's 8 to 10 pounds is the average size. I'm sure someone would tell me different. Yeah. Our biologists might say different, but, you know, that's that's normal. That's the normal deal. But anyway, um, so then I became a guy, got lucky, you know, went out with the riders and, and, uh, and from there, the rest of it is, uh, is history. It's it just, history. <laughs> just became, that's, that was my way of life. And, and at one point, uh, I switched, um, well, I, I, I took these riders out and they'd stay at the house and they write the article, get going, they get to fish for free write the article, get paid for it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I got to cut the middleman out. <laughs> like, dude, someone's on the losing end of this and it's me. Yeah, right. And so I said, well, I can be a writer. I used to write, I mean, I used to write in all these charts. I mean, I wrote constantly. Mm-hmm. And so I just had to switch my theory of how, what I was writing into that. And so, uh, and so after a long journey of now become uh, outdoor writer photographer and that works right into fishing yeah absolutely. so like literally if i have a job in the morning i take the people out in the morning and then i just work there later and if it's good and they leave and it's still good i go fishing and then i'll work at night so i don't watch tv yeah and so uh my kids can detest for that because when they were growing up we didn't ha- we never had cable tv and we never had an xbox <laughs> yeah but you have to look where we live. You got right Why? to the lake right yeah. here. You can actually, so, you can hear these cicadas. You can, yeah. yeah. I'm hoping that it's picking up on the mic because it's an awesome sound. It definitely you, is. You yeah. Yeah. And the boat's here. going by. The boats are cruising I was hoping us. one of you would be like, who's that? Yeah. Who's that? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so the, the opportunity happened. And once again, I joined CIOPA, which was the Southeast Outdoor Press Association. I joined them. And it turned out really good because I learned from the writers how to make my craft better mm. writing photography i was always good at photography but i stepped my game up gotcha. and became a better photographer and i got to take out william linder of course that's the linder family the famous linder family and william is the one that's the photographer of that and he shoots all the fray bill stuff anything that you see mm. it's underwater or that's that's the photo- f- photography stuff that's that's billy's stuff and billy's huh. just phenomenal like phenomenal and so he would come down and i would take him out for like 10 days he booked me for 10 days and he'd say go catch a smallmouth it's got to be at least three pounds and i'd run up the lake go catch a three pounder (laughs) and then i come back and i was a hero and so he did that for like 10 books that he did for 10 years he come down and so we did a lot of that stuff i learned from him and so more craft but you know you're talking about someone that brings a light crew sound crew gifts i mean that's a production a production that that they're bringing down and so actually some of the books have uh, my boat docks in the picture of it or have a younger me in there uh and so uh holding fish and tying knots and things so that that all worked out into to what i do now yeah and so and so now as being a writer and and things so Actually, I was um, the president of the Missouri Outdoor Communicators. Okay. And so uh, I left the room, and all the Missourians uh, voted me in as president. You know how that goes. Oh. And so uh, I came back, and I said, hey, I don't even live in Missouri. How can I? You know, president's <laughs> got to live do... in the United States. Yeah. They just can't just show up. <laughs> yeah. Can't come from 
from some other country. Right. And so anyway, I was the president for uh, Missouri Outdoor Communicators. And so, uh, um, you know, I, I've, I've learned a lot of things. And then just to stay alive, you have a lot of venues that, that I work with. So I do uh, media work for professional anglers. I do photo shoots. I run social media. You do a lot of things. I do a lot of things. Yeah. And so it's all spread out. So it's spread out through the year, though. And so, like, hmm. especially once you get to winter, the beauty of winter is I can go out, put the boat in, and less it's about a mile and a third to the ramp. You know how everyone lies to their insurance agent? And they go, how far do you drive to work? And, you know, you probably say three miles. Yeah, but you, five minutes. Five minutes. But you live 30 minutes away. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I like what I'm saying. And I told, like, I once told my insurance agent, and they're like, yeah, I know. Sure. Yeah. I'm like, no, really. No, like, seriously. seriously. I'm like, that close. Like, I am. Yeah. I could, I could just walk there if I could pull the boat. But, uh, <laughs> um, uh, and so it's, it's in the wintertime. You can get in the five best hours in the afternoon. The water's starting to warm up. You get that evening bite. Mm-hmm. And so all of it plays into, you know, living where I live and, and what I do and, and the experience. And so that's, I'm pretty excited about it. I'm excited. I have three grandsons. I had two daughters and uh, they do like to fish. And so, but they never had, they never really had the passion, like the mm-hmm. passion. Right. Now. The obsession where you thinking about it every day, every minute of every day and wanting to get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard well, to teach that. You can give them every opportunity, obviously, but. Yeah. Not everyone just has has that passion for it. Yeah, some people they just they take it to the next level, and but I'm sure you know. I mean, you're someone who ha- had a career and probably a, a great career and paid well, but you were like, no, I want to spend my time fishing. I want to take people out and teach yeah. them how to fish and be outside. To to be a professional angler, it costs a lot of money, and that that risk I won't accept. Even though I I never lost money, but I never accepted that role. I always knew that. I was so much stuff I could do beyond that. Yeah. And the window of opportunity was there. And so I jumped into it. Yeah. And so my son-in-laws, one is actually, he can pitch uh, as good as probably at least 70% of the pros. The top 30, he can put it in small little cracks pitching and stuff. Baseball you're talking about? No, we're talking about pitching a jig. Oh, gotcha. Around docks. I thought you were saying he's like uh-uh. a, he's an athlete. No, he oh, okay. he can fish. You're he gonna have to help me with the, the lingo on oh, some of right. this stuff. You right. know, I'm a so fly pitching. fisherman. Help me out here. Pitching. So pitching in in the docks, and he got really good. And so my daughter went to school for eight years in college, and so he fished a lot. And he was actually on the front covers of uh, some magazines and inside the articles, his pictures and stuff. Cool. But, mm-hmm. And then the other one, he actually learned how to throw a bait caster because. Uh, a bait caster, it's just like having a fly rod. You're not going to use a nine weight when you should be using a four weight. Right. You're not, you're not going to go for tarpon. You have to have the right equipment. And so he actually learned uh, uh, a while back how to throw a bait caster. And so it's, uh, so it's good. But, the, but now the grandkids were teaching them how to fish and seeing their excitement and catching a bluegill is just as exciting oh. to them as <laughs> catching a, a 12-pound bass. Yeah, that's awesome. And so it's it's yeah. it's pretty exciting. Yeah. 
Man, so so what kind of techniques do you primarily use? Um, obviously, there's a lot of different species, and you kind of change throughout the year as, as the bite changes and as the season changes. But what kind of techniques do you specifically like to like to use? Uh, if I had a choice, I'd try and catch everything on top water. Okay. And uh, I do that because you get to see the bites. It's pretty exciting. And uh, I think most people relate relate to that. They're like, God, you see the fish. Yeah. You go that. So... Can you do that year-round, top water on beaver? No, because there comes a period of time where once the water temperature gets below 50, then it gets harder. Yeah. Once it gets in that 42 degrees, there just isn't much that's moving on the top. So right. uh, I love uh, crankbaiting. I like fishing deep water because I'm, I, I think I'm really good at electronics. And, I mean, people pay me to teach them about electronics. So yeah. I'm going to say, and I've written for uh, big magazines, you know, um, the FLW when they had theirs, Major League Fishing. I wrote uh, electronic articles for them, and like currently, I write um, articles monthly for about just about electronics. Yeah, and so, so you're you're the you're the right guy to talk to about learning how to fish electronics. Right, and the, and the thing is, uh, the thing I I don't think that they'll really take that into like where you'll see it in trout fishing. Yeah, because there's. There's an art, right? There's sure. an art to fly fishing. There's more than seeing if you're going to have the best five fish limit. Yeah. You, you're for the experience, you know, the opportunity, the fogs rolling off the water. Sure. Uh, and can I say the nymphs are right up on top? There you go. You know your <laughs> The hoppers are right along the shore. Yes, and sir. You're, and you're, you're making that presentation so it looks like a hopper's coming in. Right. And so uh, that takes me to more of that offshore fishing and stuff. And so, to me, it's kind of cool now because before the electronics, there were lines mm. on the graph. There were just lines and dashes. And now the the fish are actually like, more like uh, small light bulbs mm. or little footballs. You'll hear people talk about crappie looking like footballs. Yeah, yeah. And the bigger ones, they look like footballs and going around. But I have a lot of... Um, like videos that show like spoonbill and gar and what they actually look like with mm-hmm. the active target, which is uh, the live sonar. That's the same um, same technology as what Garmin has. They have two different. They're they're and also Hummingbird has that. So the big three mm-hmm. have that. Ray Marine has not jumped into uh, into the fire yet on that, but I, they probably will. But so each company, each of the three big ones have that. And so, so talk to me about, um, let's kind of, let's jump into some of the electronic stuff right. and, and talk to me like I'm five years old, right? Like, right. Te- you know, teach me one oh one. What do I need to know if, if I want to come out on Beaver and I want to be successful one, how important is it to have electronics when you're fishing a big lake like Beaver or Bull Shoals somewhere in the Ozarks? And then two, kind of just walk me through some of like the one oh one. Like, what do I need right. to know? Let's start with the reason why you would have electronics. Mm-hmm. First, you're trying to eliminate, you know, from point twelve, which is two miles from here, to the dam. Uh, I think it's sixty-two miles. So you got to eliminate some water. Yeah, it's a you got to you got to cut it down. And so, uh, you know, if I was to tell someone, and they would say, you know, how can I be a better fisherman? I'm just gonna get live scope and go out there and catch more fish. I'd say, well, first you need to learn about fish migration. Mm-hmm. Because where their habitat is, that's where you're going to find them. That's going to eliminate a lot of water. But that's where sonar comes in. It's going to let you eliminate the water. 
And so if you know that they're going to be in the mouth of feeder creeks, that allows you to take your graph and go in there and start looking for the fish. Or you might be looking for shad because the stripers are following the shad. So use your electronics to eliminate water. And then you can also see, now you can see with live sonar, uh, the active target. You can see if the fish are active, how they react to a bait and, and what they do. So in the old days, no one really knew, like everyone assumed they knew yeah. what they were doing. Yeah. And, and now you actually get to see if the fish come up, look at the bait, and go away from it. Maybe you need to change colors. Maybe you need to change that presentation. Maybe those fish just aren't going to bite. They've found mm-hmm. a lot where fish just don't bite. Like, literally, you could see them on your graph. You couldn't get them to buy yeah. them. And so now they they can see that on their units. And so electronic units are are great fish finders. Right. Mm-hmm. It's, still, it's still to catch that crappie. Right. You still have to use, uh, you still have to use your pole and your lure to do the final assessment. Yeah. That's, what, so. that's something that's really interesting to me about this whole the the whole new technology and, and electronics is you know we've always been able to shock water see what's under there right see how many fish is there if we're you know and then even with fish finders or you know graphs right we're able to see where the fish are but now we're actually able to see how they react to a bait and it's all not hearsay you know marketing and, and brands saying right coming out with a with a new new bait that they've never seen a fish react to right Mm-hmm. So, I I think that's a huge step in the in the right direction, I guess for for uh, for the fishing industry, but also if you don't have one, it it can be a big step in the wrong direction too. It kind of it definitely holds them accountable, right? Like yeah. you can't just say anything because now you can see if if a fish right. is taking these or how they're reacting to mm-hmm. it, um, and so it definitely does that. What about in terms of we you yeah. and I kind of were talking on the way over here. Um, like, and you kind of just hit on it there a little bit, but you have this electronics and, and this technology, and in in some ways, I could see how someone would say, like, man, does that almost like that? Does it cheating. almost make it not fair? Like, is uh-huh. it is it cheating? What it, what do you say to that when when you talk about fishing with electronics and kind of how how would you counter that? Well, I would say that uh, first of all, the uh, electronics can help you see the fish, find the fish, but. That doesn't make them bite. Mm, okay. And so in the end, you you still have to make them bite. So it's eliminating, like I said before, eliminating that water. And so uh, there's kind of a um, a theory going on now is is you have to recruit new anglers, like and new hunters. Mm. You have to you have to recruit them. Right. And so you have to get the next generation right. to come. So you guys are a generation, but there's a generation under you. What what's your age? Uh, I'm 27, 24, and so so there's a generation of 18 year olds, 17 year olds. Yeah. Even then, you got to go to that younger, that eight, nine. Someone had to have taken them out and still take them out for them to start fishing or hunting. Hunting's even mm-hmm. worse yet because you have to have the the land. You have to have the opportunity to go where fishing. There's so many opportunities right. in the Ozarks to fish, uh, but that that takes them to get that generation going. Well, that generation is used of computers. They're used to playing Xbox. They're mm-hmm. used to playing video games. Yeah. And so it's actually called video fishing. Mm. And so you get to see the fish bite. And so uh, by doing that, that's probably brought in 
it's brought in huh. a lot more than it's eliminated. I gotcha. And if it's eliminated, it, it might be the older guys that don't want to use it because it is expensive. I mean, it is an expensive PC electronics that's on your boat, but also maybe they don't like playing video games yeah. in a way because that's it kind of becomes that. And so uh, if especially if you're crappie fishing, uh, most of the professional crappie anglers that are fishing in tournaments um, will have two or three units in the front and they're just watching their graph the whole time. Mm -hmm. And they're targeting a big fish. They're targeting something on a Garmin unit they say looks like a light bulb or looks like a football. Mm. And so uh, on, on active target, it's still a big, it's a big brighter image that comes back. Mm. And so they can tell. And so that's actually, I thought, it, it, it doesn't hurt. What they found is they've, uh, Richard Sims uh, did an article about it uh, in Crappie Now, and you can look that up. And they actually found, uh, they did a survey up in uh, Kansas, and they talked to the people as they came in, and they talked, like, did you have live scope? And, of course, they can mm. see. Did you have live scope? How many fish you keep? How many fish you going to eat? Yeah. How many big fish you catch? You know, what was your size? And they actually found out that the people with live scope were catching, I believe, keeping less fish than the people that didn't have the electronics. They were keeping less. They were keeping less because they were targeting the big fish. Mm -hmm. And they're, and so that's a, that's something interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to technology, but the, but the anglers to get that recruitment, it's super important. Like, yeah. like to get yeah. that group going, just like you guys are going to probably do something to get some more people active in hunting or fishing, that's that's the key. That's the right. key to our goal as communicators. Yeah, huh. yeah, absolutely. It, it's super important, um, and and you do kind of have to have someone to take you out and show you. We, we do actually have a lot of public land access in Arkansas to go hunting, but even still, if you don't have someone to take you and show you or like a dad or a friend right. to get yeah. you out, you're not going to get into it, but fishing is a little bit more accessible. Yeah, and mm -hmm. if if it's the you know if it's the one thing that kind of helps get more people into it by using technology, and I'll admit, younger generations, my generation, we're probably a little bit more attuned to like instant gratification. That, that's exactly what I was going to say. Like need need to know need need the answer now, yeah. and need to get what we're going for quickly. Right, right. <laughs> so. I, I'm right there with you. Yeah, it's it's kind of like we. Th that's just the reality. So you can you can say no, not going to do it, and then and maybe you miss out on a, this new generation of people getting into fishing. Right. But then you don't have people fishing, and you let, have less people buying, uh, sale like licenses and sales, right. yep. and, and you know donating towards mm -hmm. conservation, all that stuff, and you don't have the advocates for fishing um, like you would if. Yep. If you had more people using it because of LiveScope or these fish finders. And so. Yeah. Um, you mentioned one thing in like professional tournament settings, you know, people right. are staring at this. Whenever I watch MLF, especially on smallmouth, I think, or, yeah, or deep water, mouth, you know, yes. they're sitting there. They're not even looking at where they're casting, you know, they're just <laughs> right. eyes to the monitor. Right now, obviously, it's legal to use in those big, big money, you know, stakes tournament. Uh -huh. Do you have any idea if that's going to continue to be legal, if any reason why it wouldn't or why it would? I would base my answer on money. Yeah. Uh, so, Lawrence, Garmin, Hummingbird spend thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars 
to promote their products yeah, in true. magazines yeah. and with the pros. They and present, the I mean, the Bassmasters so, and all that, yeah, too. The thing yeah. is, since it's catch and release, I mean, and they're looking for five and they're not taking more than that away, then I don't see it as an issue. I mean, it's mm. it's they're using the technology as they can. But if you go and watch a frog tournament and it goes to Gunnersville, the you yeah, you can't true, yeah. use it. And so there's just it's just the northern swing. And yeah. even in northern swing, they still have large the largemouth are starting to pick up there and in some of the inlets and uh-huh. the bays and stuff. And so they still the the thing is like there are some big smallmouth up there, mm. four and five pound smallmouth. And mm. if you have five five pounds small that's 25 pounds that's and right. so that's a awesome. huge right. but i mean if you don't come in with 20 pounds you you're not even in the running mm-hmm. it's crazy but but uh and so uh whether electronics they're not gonna ever take them out of bass tournaments okay they have taken them out of the professional musky tournament circuit mm. up north they've taken them out they can't use uh, so they've banned it but you have to put it in perspective. Those are very big fish. They only, it takes them a long time to grow, and they're very, they're easier mm-hmm. to see, and so they're easier to snag. And so people aren't really snagging the smallmouth, but it would be easy huh. to do, easier yeah. to do with a, a large fish. It's still not as easy as you think. <laughs> yeah. Because it still takes placement. It still takes a skill level to do that. Like, not everyone, like, I'll mm-hmm. see people or I take people out, and they're like, man, I just can't. I can't see my lure. And I'm like, well, you... And a lot of time, it's just the, the distance that you're casting. You get really good at telling what 10 foot is or mm-hmm. 20 foot, yeah, 30 foot. And so, like, for, for us, we do, like, bass fishing stuff. You're, you're out there in that 80 foot range, so you're out there a lot farther. But mm-hmm. as far as the banding the technology or... or you know, tournament circuits going away. Crappie fishing would completely change if they banned. Yeah. I mean, it would, there, people probably just wouldn't fish in it anymore because they're addicted to that yeah. screen. Right. But I mean, at times, there's times of years where, like in Florida, the first tournament this year, those guys didn't even have electronics on their boat and won the tournament. Mm-hmm. We're talking about people that have $25,000, $20,000 worth of equipment right. on their boats. And they got beat by two guys with, you know, two, I believe, two fly rods. Really? And they were jerking uh, <laughs> huh. jigs on them. No way. And catching them. So, I mean, it just kind of depends where it's at. But when you start getting south, you get into the grass and stuff. Yeah. It, it changes that. What, what, what about a lake like here at Beaver? You know, this oh. time of year, really hot. The I'd imagine the bass are really deep. Um, I've never really fished Beaver maybe one time. Right. Um, but I'd imagine right now the bass are really deep and off offshore, um, schooled yeah. up. Yeah. Is that playing a big factor right now in bass fishing on beaver or, or lakes yeah. like around yeah. here? Yeah, it, it helps uh, where you find a ledge and you can mm-hmm. see the fish. So it confirms that they're down there. Where before you would catch fish there and you might stay there, but you're just thinking... Right. History played a big part of it. Now history doesn't. Yeah. Now it's immediate. You talked about, you know. No more honey holes, you know, secret. Yeah, there's no more, like, the tree things. Like, yeah, yeah I sunk these trees. Right, It's yeah. my my trees, and it's mm-hmm. like, dude, 
20 people have driven by that today and yeah. they all know what's there. I mean, yeah. so, and I mean, that's not a big, I mean, that's not a big factor. I think most people are, are okay with the technology. It's just a few that, that, you know, maybe abuse it, that, mm-hmm. that we give it a bad name. But as far as fishing, it, it goes like that. And so you talked about fishing offshore and you talked about like what technology, you know, they use yeah. like, and what you would use to catch them, one thing we always start with in my class is uh, it's an on-the-water class, and so we usually use the angler's boat because it doesn't do any good to go in my boat, and I show them all this nice stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, or I yeah. show them Lawrence, but he's got Garmin. Right. Because, and then how your trolling motor moves and where your transducers are make the biggest difference in the world. So it'd be like if you're a field goal kicker and they got you at 60... 60 feet out or if they got you an extra point and he got you 12 foot out right it's a chip shot gotcha and so that technology you so usually uh, we go in their boat but i've had people come from all over and then they go i mean i had one uh this past month that was from kansas city drove all the way down and so we used my boat so he didn't have to drag his down but uh and so we we go through the technology First thing we talk about is frequencies because frequencies make a difference on how you see it. Frequencies are set up so they come out as an echo. It's a pinging, goes out and comes back. That's how sonar mm. works. Okay. It's, it's a sound that goes out and okay. then it, it comes back. And so chirp was the first big thing that came out. People were like, chirp, mm-hmm. yeah, that compressed noise that was going out. Mm. And it was like the walleye fishermen that had it did better because it was able to separate the fish from the bottom. So they were able to tell that was a walleye down there. Before the, because you had a single pin, mm-hmm. ping goes out. Like traditional sonars, 83, 83 kilohertz or 200 kilohertz. Now you got compressed, uh, you have chirp and it goes out, it's 160 to 210. It depends on uh, how you have it set. And these are your frequencies. And those are the about. frequencies. That, so it's like having, in the old days, it was like having one church bell, ding, it went, it rang, it went out, and then the unit waited for that sound to come back. Okay. And now chirp was like 30 or 40 church bells, bing, you oh. hit them all at once, and then that unit waited for all 40 signals to come back. So it was gotcha. able to separate if it was a walleye or a fish mm. that was on the bottom or fish together stacked up like schooling fish. Mm. And that's the first time where you started catching multiple like white bass, you'd be like, dude, there's like 50 <laughs> white bass on yeah. this. And before it'd just be like a clump of stuff mm. and you couldn't tell. You wouldn't really know what it was. You didn't know for sure. And yeah. then, so chirp came along and then uh, next up came, um, I believe side scan came before a down scan and so side scan came out and that allowed you to see side by side of the boat so you see both sides of the boat and you could reach out there maybe 60 feet 50 foot and that has a frequency so 400 normally the traditional settings 455 kilohertz or 800 kilohertz the higher the number the stronger the power is so okay. imagine it's a flashlight and you have 800 you know, kilowatts going out yeah. there. You can Lumens see way good. out there. Yeah. Like, you can see your neighbor's house. Okay. But then you get 455. Whoa, it's a good light that you can see the whole porch. I gotcha. And it's so... like spotlight versus kind of Right. Panorama. And so if you're searching for fish, you want to use 
a wide angle, you want to see more of it. Right. And when you're target in and you know it's a brush pile there, but you want to see if there's fish there, then you go up to higher frequencies. Got it. Okay. So I went to side scan. A lot of that was Hummingbird uh, had like Kevin Van Dam and and those guys that are really good at it. They use side scan and then down scan came along and that that's the same technology goes down with a frequency that's very high that is really fast frequency like a chop, 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 chop. And so it gives you a real photo-like image because that's how fast it's running. Mm. And so uh, so downscan came out, and now we have, like, Active Target or uh, the Garmin LiveScope. Mm-hmm. And so uh, what that does, it has, like, three beams that go out, and it's able to capture uh, sounds consistently. So it's pinging, pinging, pinging. And so as a fish moves, it shows the fish move. So the fish will move across your screen, up, down, left, right. So that's good that you can see them. And it's live, right? Like it's, it's happening. Yeah, there's in real a time. short delay delay in uh, the Lawrence one, the Garmin one. The older transducer doesn't have a delay. The newer one does. If you put on, if you remove the ghost tree, which is a setting, which it's like more like clutter that's on your screen, mm. I and mean, a ghost screen chops it because of the thing, but. Uh, another reason why um, the crappie anglers love that is because you can see what, what the fish is doing. But you still have to have that pointed in a direction. Mm-hmm. So it, just because you have it, you could go up to a boat dock and the brush pile could be on the left side. And if you've never scanned that side with your trolling motor, it attaches to your trolling motor usually. Or you can buy an individual pole that can be used electronically. You know, like with the electric, like a dimmer switch and turn it left, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Or now Hummingbird has a new target lock, I believe is what it what they call it. Just came out with it in July. And it can stay where your transducer is going. But a lot of people have the transducer mounts. They're just mounted to the electronics, to the trolling motor. So you can see when you go left or right. But it's still, if you spook them out, if you spook the fish by hitting the boat dock or you're your lure makes a, a huge splash. Yeah. That's going to spook them out. They're going to be gone. They ain't staying around to see why someone's throwing something at them. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to hunker down. They're going to get down deep inside that cover. And they're not coming out no matter what your, no matter what your lure looks like. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so the fish still, the fish still can swim away very easily yeah it's like an aquarium that doesn't have walls yeah yeah they got everywhere to go right so just because you can see them and you can find them doesn't mean you're going to catch them right exactly okay there'll be days where you where you'll look at a lot of fish and not catch them gotcha like a lot of fish it's got to be frustrating yeah and um the point you mentioned about the i don't know i guess it locks onto your trolling motor Uh so i could see that being is it a pain whenever, you know, maybe it's windy or, yep. or you know, you're yep. constantly, because every time you move the direction of the Tron motor, that's what you're seeing on the screen. Mm. Yeah, and the new target lock is supposed to solve that problem. So you're able to put the target, touch the screen, lock it into a spot where the tree is, and then your boat can hold mm-hmm. in whatever position. Gotcha. And so that's, you know, they have to put that together. That's probably the next the next step they do have something called uh, scout mode or uh, periscope no perspective perspective mode by garmin so those 
uh, two companies and they have uh, Hummingbird 360 where mm-hmm. and Ghost 360 that is more visual out all the way around, more like a complete picture, like uh, like the whole pie that's out there. But but all of them are limited to um, a sweep, so it has to make a sweep to go around. Gotcha. And so to make uh, the sweep by the gotcha. time it makes all the way around. So I just like. Uh, before I left, I installed uh, my Ghost 360. It's kind of cool, though, because now you can see where that log is to the right, mm-hmm. but you can, and then you can take a live scope over and do, you know, catch it that way. But, mm-hmm. I mean, um, a lot of those things is because technology is changing so fast. And so there is people that are like, well, I'm just not going to buy that. If you understand where fish live, I mean, you don't have to have a depth finder. But it's going to help you eliminate water. Yeah. You know, and so you're being more productive in your water. Probably the best thing you could do if you have sonar is go and check your spot before you go and fish history. Mm-hmm. You should never fish history. People, the reason why people don't usually win on their home lake in big bass tournaments that pay $100,000, it's because they fish history. Yeah. Because they know about this honey where, hole. They've always fished and caught this big tank. Caught, yep. Mm-hmm. And so now, all of a sudden, they're like, they go there, but people have already fished it. Yeah. Or, you know, it's not as good as this guy who's gone out and found a, a place that's better. Right. Because he doesn't live there. He doesn't know about that. And so so that plays a big part. Yeah. And, um, you know, in the sonar part, I have a Facebook page. It's called Sonar Fishing Fanatic. Okay. And that's my Facebook page, besides my, just like my regular ones, just Brad Weekman kind yeah. of follows my <laughs> travels. But uh, but that one actually has, uh, usually once a week, usually has a screen capture or actually an actual video of the active target showing fish. Mm. And so and a lot of times I'll also have them on Lowrance on their uh, Facebook page so people find find it that way and that's usually how they find me like if they want to go they're like hey i saw that you did this on on facebook i saw that image uh, how come i can't get that image? yeah how do i see that online <laughs> yeah and so a lot of that is is that like like showing people how to use their graph and not just waypoints and not just um not just the live sonar that's the you know the part where where a lot of the people just wanted that's all they want to do to be a successful angler year round and all the way through you learn to you learn to do different things so you can catch fish right so you uh i you actually on on your podcast the fishing guide podcast you interviewed john stein we actually interviewed him pretty soon after you um Mm -hmm. and we were talking to him we're like you ever been on a podcast he was like yeah actually just last week i was (laughs) Um, and we were like, so that was how we kind of got connected th- through yeah. you and uh, kind of heard about you. But he was talking about um, fish fi- fish finders a little bit. And he kind of said broadly, and I, I'm not sure this is exact quote, but he said something like 5% of the fish that are caught, or sorry, 90% of the fish that are caught are caught by like 5% of anglers. That's right. And it's, is in my mind, he was kind of talking about it around live scope and fish finders and stuff like that and guys who know how to use that. And so, one, is that surprising to you to, to hear someone like that say that? And, and is that accurate with what you know of the people who are really catching fish know how to use their equipment and their tools and the technology to find the fish? 
if they put it all together, I would say that's probably the numbers. Okay. And so uh, technology helps, but it doesn't mean they're doesn't mean they're going to buy it. But it does make a person more successful if they put everything together. A lot of people that have gotten it, like as you you can imagine, it twenty three hundred or whatever the cheapest you can buy. It's not a 16-year-old in a V-bottom boat that has it. And so right. he's still learning how to cast. Yeah. He's still using his ears, his eyes. He's still learning that, man, during this hot part of summer, they're not up next to the bank. I need to fish deeper. So they've, they've learned that. I would say that 10% of the fish live in, or 90% of the fish live in 10% of the water. Oh. So... There's a lot of empty water that's out there, especially if you look just like right outside, outside our house here. Yeah. And that, that channel that's over there is 60 foot deep. Okay. Right? Yeah. So they have 60 foot that they can go up and down. Mm, Yeah. And so, uh, and so that's a big movement and shad, how shad move, like if you learn how shad move and, and that behavior, a lot of what they're eating is their food. So like when you go to eat, you don't, go like out to Huntsville and try and find a, a Sonic. <laughs> there isn't one. Yeah. You go to you go to the place where there's a Sonic and all of a sudden you drive up to Sonic and there's Taco Bell. There's all those restaurants in one spot. Right. You do that because that's where everyone's going to eat. Gotcha. Not going out in the middle mm. of Hinesville and trying to find a Sonic. It's just that's not where the food is. Yeah. They do have a great place to eat, but yeah. anyway, uh, <laughs> not a Sonic. But you see what I'm saying? Yeah, that's, right. That yeah. Makes sense. And whether ninety, whether five percent of the anglers, I think most people are somewhat successful. And when you talk about success, I think it comes down to what you like personally. Mm. Like when you go crappie fishing, or when when you go fly fishing. You have your expectation of what you're going to catch that day. Right. And Success if you exceed it, yeah, it's different mm-hmm. for each person. Yeah. And so uh, sometimes if I get a new lure, like I had a couple brand new lures that are just came out, and I'll just go throw them. And if I learn how to throw that, I learn how to catch fish on it. And even if I only catch a couple fish, if I've learned how to use it, when the fish are really going to be biting in that strike zone, in that speed of the lure, then... I'll be real successful those days. Yeah. And so it it doesn't bother me to go out and and try lures and try to try to make it so I can catch more fish on those lures. And so mm. sometimes it's not the best time to do that. But the only time to go test and throw a new swim bait before winter comes around is like right now. So be slinging like maybe mm. some bigger baits that I know I won't get a hit unless it's a stormy day, raining, some cloud cover. Yeah. Or, you know, maybe it's a big bait that they're not going to eat or maybe it's a small bait, but I'm trying to trick it just a little bit. So mm. tricking lures, this is this is a great story if you have time. I um, All day. We've got all, all day, Fred. <laughs> um, so Pico Lures, I work uh, for Pico Lures. I'm the marketing manager for uh, Mitch Glenn. He owns Pico Lures up there in Garfield. Okay, uh, yeah. Ours, Ozark guy. Yeah, there so, you go. So uh, he's always, he's worked in the fishing industry uh, at probably about the same time I have, you okay. know, 40 years. And so, uh, 40 plus years. And, uh, and so um, I was out fishing and because of this, this new technology and seeing it, 
Mitch has come up with this jig head that's like an aspirin shape, and then he's got metallic reflective eyes that go into it, um, and so they're they're not an insert, but there's a cup inside there, and that's where you put the eyes in, and so that makes it so it's more reflective because the harder something is, the brighter it is, easier it is to see on live sonar, and mm. so his heads are better, easier to see huh. than the traditional round little round ball heads mm, okay. because yeah. the sonar goes like doesn't yeah and then if it hits it, it it's not real bright not real white and so so he had that jig head and i was trying to find a body that would work um you know like like what kind of body and so i went through a whole bunch of bodies and and i was just like taking the heads off and i was taking the tails mm-hmm. off and i was cutting them with knives and I was trying to get one that maybe Mitch would, like, we could produce, and it'd be like a shad shape, minnow shape. Yeah. That's kind of what I was thinking of, around three inches. And anyway, Cream Lures that I've also done some stuff for, for uh, Chris Kent. He, Chris and Ann are the owners of it now, of Cream Lures. Cream Lures made the first plastic worm way back when. Oh. And uh, and so, but they now own the company, and uh, I've actually taken them out fishing, but... Uh, That's awesome. But... Um, have this uh, screamer and it's a swim bait and so just by chance I took the tail off I said wonder what happens I take the tail off take the tail off chunk it in there catch one I'm like well must be on them and then I did again I caught another one and I said well that's luck Mm -hmm. and then I did it this morning kept catching fish and uh, and so I started using that in the spring and that was my thing. And so I'd be like, hey, I, you know, I need like, like 10 packages. There's like 50 of them. I'm like, I need 10 packages or 12 packages of them. And they what are you doing? Like, how are you going through all these baits? Yeah. But I never told them. I just said I'm using them for photos. Yeah. Which I was. Yeah, sure. But I was breaking the tail off. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and so I made this thing I call the Pico Rig. And so the Pico Rig is, is, is a phenomenal bait because the tail seems to move just a little bit, but it's a subtle movement. If you ever watch fish, fish don't run around all the time. They yeah. hardly run around yeah. all the time. They just don't. And so they love that subtle movement. And so I was showing people, and when we went, uh, we actually caught some fish up in Mozingo. We caught our biggest crappie and only crappie on this. And it was a nice crappie for, uh, for a thing, but we caught on that. And, but, but we took that down to ICAST and I showed, uh, Brett Pruitt, who is, uh, used to be a elite bass angler and now he still fishes tournaments, but he was in the upper echelon, the uh, upper 100 anglers Mm -hmm. for bass. And, uh, I showed him, told him a little bit, he played with it in, uh, in the, uh, had like an aquarium there so they could show people as they come through the show. And so he got up on stage and he was showing the people and he said, you know, and he threw it out and he had a paddle tail on it. And he swims it back. And you, you've been and seen those bass tanks. And oh, yeah. fish just look at it. Yeah. Like they don't move. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I like get up there. Get up there at the night crawler. Uh-huh. Catch them. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so they hardly ever move. They never follow a bait. And so he got up there and first couple of times swam it through it. And probably even bumped into one. And, and they didn't even... Like, they didn't even move. They didn't react. They're lethargic. Yeah. They were a 13-year-old that had drank enough 
you know, <laughs> pop and had eaten <laughs> Skittles until they couldn't eat no more. Right. And, uh, Big couch potato. Yeah, couch potato. And he took the tail off that thing. He pitched it in there. And before it hit the bottom, first one came over. And a nice one wasn't too bad. And he had them on for a second, and he spit it out, and it went. And he kind of moved it a little bit, and he showed the people, and it was kind of bouncing around a little bit. And he picked it up the next time. He pitched it out, and it went down and hit bottom, and it, it just kind of quivers a little bit. Mm-hmm. If you just move it just a just little bit, it just kind of quivers. Mm-hmm. And the biggest bass that's in the tank comes around and goes, just sucks mm-hmm. it in. No way. Just like that. <laughs> just picks it right up yeah. just inhales it and he's got this fish on and there's bubbles there if you if you've never been on one of those tanks and like fished in there it's hard to see down there what's really happened with your lure and he's like i'm pretty sure i got him yeah. and everyone that's in the crowd is like they can see it they're all like, yeah that's a fish yeah. that's a fish you got the biggest one yeah. and they're all like you know really excited and i happen to be videoing that you know i had my camera and i was videoing it yeah so i'm videoing i'm like hey Got him on, and and so he goes. I gotta try and get him loose because you're not supposed to catch him. Right. <laughs> like that's like a no no. Yeah. You're yeah. not supposed to catch him. They cut, and so his hook was cut off, and the fish still wouldn't let go of it. And then finally, oh man! After some shaking, trying to get it off, it finally got off. Finally let go. Mm-hmm. And so, um, uh, and so that was the pico rig. And so you know, like he threw it out again and and caught another fish. But it's it's like. Different lures and different techniques, you know, these fish get really wise. Like, mm-hmm. when the Whopper Plopper first came out, it was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. But they kind of know it's a Whopper Plopper now. Yeah. And yeah. so it I, still works, but just not. Uh, before, I think it, we were talking about it either off, off before we started recording or on your podcast, how baits kind of are in and then they move out of the industry, then come back in. I my first thought was a whopper plopper, and oh. before you know, buzz baits has kind of ruled ruled that, and then whopper plopper. Now everyone's starting to throw buzz baits. It seems again instead of you know all these new really cool topwater baits. But um, that's just a side note for you. That is, I think, yeah. and it's really cycles. It goes in cycles, but subtle baits like that are will always be good because. Uh, Fish just don't move as much as people think they do. Mm-hmm. They just don't. Shad don't move. They they move, but they may not be moving as much as you're moving that spinnerbait coming back. They're not like at a constant mm-hmm. pace of three miles an hour. Or this shad would be super skinny. Yeah, thread fins. <laughs> thread fins are already super yeah. skinny, but I mean that's that's cycles. That's what happens if they want to see that footage. It's actually on. Uh, on the Pico uh, Pico Facebook page. Yeah. And I think I posted it too okay. on uh, my page. If they want to see that big bass come over, if they want to see how to do it yeah. themselves, yeah. they can go and uh, they can check it out there. And also, uh, you'll see a lot of educational stuff. Yeah. So I have a lot of uh, stuff. I went to ICAST, uh, which is the big fishing show, mm-hmm. and they have that once a year. And so I went there and I have like 45 or 50 videos that. I've been posting on Facebook from the professionals like Bill Cimentel, who's Big Bass Zone. Mm-hmm. He's the one that, that came up with the theory of bass being in zones, three layers, you know, top, middle, bottom. Right. And then also the uh, locations, five locations they can be in. It's a great book. It's actually mm-hmm. a book that 
people should read if like kids if they're getting into it. I will probably read start reading it to my grandkids. <laughs> start young. You start reading like reading that book to them and telling them what a channel is. What's a channel swing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's a ledge? What's a drop off? Yeah. What's what's the structure? How does it do? And and his book actually I don't even know how old it is, but but anyone I bet I could look go through there and find something. You know, like something that is real interesting. And I don't know if you could apply this to trout fishing, but in bass fishing, if you catch a fish, and now we're seeing it, if you catch them and you reel them in, you've reeled them off of that structure if it's a point. And if they get out there in that deep water, they may not just return to that spot. You've taken them off that spot Mm -hmm. by catching them. And now people are starting to learn that, like, that's what you're doing. So one approach that Bill always had was, Go to the shore and work your point as if you were standing on the shore. Mm. Because then you're pulling them to shallow water. Oh, yeah. And when they follow it, when they go back, they'll go back to that 12-foot section, Mm 13-foot section, compared to being out there in no man's land. Pulling them out, yeah. Yeah, in 30-foot and having a hard time, so... A lot of good stuff in that book. I, I, and I mean, I'm not trying to sell this book, but, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's just one book. YouTube, the kids. We were talking about kids earlier too. That reminded me that they watch YouTube, and their learning curve is so fast. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they watch that. And, oh, there's and infinite information out on the. They're like, now. oh, I know how to drop shot, but yeah. in the end, you still have to locate the fish to catch the fish. Yeah. I promise you. you yeah. Can, I know there's lots of people out there that have thousands, lots of money in graphs, and they can't catch fish. Mm. Like you got to be able to put it all together. Yeah, you got to put it together. Yeah. So, but, and that's where, that's where, like, I try and do the educational things. When we're out sonar fishing, it's not just, it is mostly all sonar, but when I'm showing them where, where, you know, channel swings are. Channel swings are where the fish are going to be. Yeah. You know, in summer, they're moving there. Channel swings are going to move up to the sh- channel swings. The bass is. It's going to go off to the side. Or we're going to talk about uh, what thermoclines look like. I think last week's post, I show what a thermocline looks like. Oh, you and can actually so, see the thermocline on your on your. Oh, yeah. On yeah, your you graph. can see it. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I, we show it on uh, traditional 2D, down scan, and side scan. I think that was last week's post was what is what I had last week. But I, I have some mm-hmm. posts that have, like, uh, it's really cool. It's always cool. It's uh, taking a jerk bait and I'm working this jerk bait back, and it's live. You're seeing it because I use my, um, use my phone. I record it off of it inside, like, through Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have it recorded, and these five fish come up, and you can hear me go, oh, look, there's five fish. And then I'm like, I jerk a couple more times. You see the fish. They're just following it yeah. on the thing. Yeah, and then cool. finally, uh, like I turn to my grandson, I go, one of those is going to bite. And I just twitch it, just like half a twitch. And one that's down there, maybe a little farther, comes straight up. And you see him hit it and take it. And then yeah, you can so see cool. it being fought in. And so, uh, you know, you can you can do that. But sometimes, like, when you catch them, you don't. Maybe a lot of times bass fishing you know where they are and you're trying to position your boat and so you're not you know it's crappie fishermen they're basically throwing to them and they're seeing them and they're throwing to them they're trying to catch the big fish yeah mm-hmm. not just random you know like a big um 
like there's a whole bunch of crappie in that brush, they're usually targeting that one, like the mic. They're targeting that one fish that's on that mic. Cast it past it. Crappie, pretty simple. You always try and keep it above them. Mm-hmm. You never go down below them because crappie usually don't feed down. Mm-hmm. If they do, we'll find out with the new technology. Yeah, but no one's, everyone I've gone with, all the the best crappie anglers in the world, they'll tell you that crappie don't feel it. Yeah, feed down. because on normal grass, I was always taught that a vertical line or, you know, a line going up uh-huh. indicated feeding crappie upwards right. instead of downwards. And that's what my grandpa would always tell me to yep. just always keep it above them. And never, you know, you can always go too shallow, but not, not too deep. Yep, exactly. So, what so. are what are the lines like? You talk about being able to see the lines. What are you looking for in terms of on the graph? In terms of shapes of lines, direction of lines. Well, you really you don't really see lines anymore unless you have like a traditional mm-hmm. sonar, okay. traditional two D sonar. Gotcha. Yeah. So now instead, you might see lines on downscan and stuff if you have a weight or a big lure type thing. But usually it's dash and dots. Okay. So that's what fish look like because it's so fast, it doesn't allow the arch to appear. Mm. So because it's real fast, a tree looks like a tree under the water. Cypress Mm -hmm. tree or a cedar tree looks like that under the water because it's so fast. So then it makes the fish appear as more like a round type thing. Gotcha. So... Uh, because there's no distance. Sonar is all about distance. That's how sonar works. It's all distance. From one, from the echo back, from out to back. And so uh, what you're, you can tell big fish though, and you can tell by the, con- if you have contrast set high enough, it'll be really bright, white, return, and then you can see that, you know, it's a better fish. Right. And so that's, that's what you're kind of looking for, and that's what you see on the fish. Gotcha. Yep. Gotcha. Man, just a wealth of knowledge. There's obviously a lot more than, that we couldn't cover today, but right. if, if people want to learn more about, um, about using fish finders and using electronics, they can reach out to you, right? Uh, yep. or, or you mentioned a Facebook page. How, how can people learn more and, and kind of get a hold of you? Uh, they can start uh, the electronics alone. I have Sonar Fishing Fanatic which is a Facebook page. You can go there. You can follow it. You can like it. Uh, or you can go um, usually to my Facebook page. usually has what I'm doing. I kind of get to move around and get to see all kinds of cool people, you know, and, and in the fishing industry. Yeah. And so uh, you can check that out. That's just under Brad Weekman. Okay. W-I-E-G-M-A-N-N. Got it. And so... Uh, so that's an easy way. They can contact me. They can call me at 479-756-5279. And uh, I have a website. I forgot to mention that. There you it's go. An, yeah. It's an award-winning website. It won the Realtree Horizon Best Website Award. Wow. One year. And so cool. uh, it I has no websites yeah, had awards. Awesome. <laughs> Must be they really big. Yeah, it's pretty big. And that's it has awesome. uh, over 2,000. 2,000 content things. So oh, cool. Everything like articles, product reviews, wow. oh, and all kinds of stuff. So usually... Wealth of knowledge. So my phone number's there, and so they can contact me there. And if they just look... If they just Google my name, 
I'm not the bald guy that works for the national security, <laughs> the government national security, you'll notice. There's That's another Brad not Weekman. That, not that Brad Weekman. Yeah. So I'm hoping to have more stuff than him. Gotcha. He needs to quit having these dang press releases. And so... Uh, <laughs> Trying to but, take uh, him down. Yeah, so that's, Brad Wigman fishing, maybe. Yeah, yeah, Brad Wigman fishing will get you there, and then uh, you know you can basically just email me off of that. Yeah, and or just put the message in, and if I'm gone uh, doing a trip or something, when I get back around, then I'll get in touch, and we can see, you know, what we can do. And yeah. of course, we're gonna have to try and get you guys out because I didn't know. That, I want to. That you know, you're at the right age where if you went out and. And, um, you know, and you saw some of the sonar, it, the learning curve for you compared to a 55-year-old is going to be shorter because yeah. you've played, you've played the games. Yeah. Maybe. I, well, maybe you've played the I've games. Played, I've played some games. I'm not a gamer by any means. I'm, I but try, you grew but, up with some. Yeah, just I'm, seeing the screen and knowing how oh, to react 100%. to things. I. I know yeah. it. I know what you mean. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah. So I mean that that would be big, but yeah. got to get you guys out. Yeah, I mean, yeah. man, we'd love to. I mean, the hard part is I live so far away from the water. Oh man. Oh yeah. Such yeah. A, yeah. Such a well, we might I just mean, meet you at the boat ramp, and then we can do an episode on your boat. There you go. You, you know? should do an episode on my boat. I'd, That'd be awesome. I would. I would encourage you to come we could, out. We could do want. a video or a reel. We could put something on Instagram. Yeah. Show some basics. Yeah. And then. Fry some fish, maybe, right back here? Mm. This yeah, is sounding no. like a good time. Yeah, we already so got it planned cooking? out, me and Kyle. Are you guys cooking? We will cook. Yeah, I'll, I'll bring it. Will you cook it. on the grill? We'll cook on the grill. We'll fry I'm not very out. good at cooking on the grill. We so. can. Yeah. I like fried fish. I yeah. Can, I can do some fried ah, You don't want fried fish. Gold crispies. Oh, I guess my wife would have to get I can say it. She's getting something that she's going to help. She's getting an air fryer. She doesn't know that. She's oh, getting an air fryer in a couple days. I, you know, I've, so. I still haven't tried to air fry crappie or, or fish in I would general. think that would be good. You're so kind of big on the air fryer. I'm big on the air fryer, if anyone, too. If anyone is cooking fish, bake, baking their fish on the air fryer yeah. or in olive oil or something like that, yeah. let them know. Yeah. Let Respond know. to the Thank thing. You. We need to know if it's good, we if there's a know. recipe. You're that, right. That shows you how long... It's been since I've fried fish, probably about a, a year or two, oh, which is a really long time for me. Too long since I got the air fryer because I cook everything in there. We bake, we bake our fish. Okay, so catfish Allison's a recipe that you can use, and it makes it an awesome, like a layer on top of parmesan cheese. Oh, and I'm hungry and it's too. Crusty. Come on, you know Brad. it's crusty. So when you and it's like, it's like a good. Fried chicken. Yeah. It's that skin that's it's got crunchy. That crust. Oh, and that's what that has. And so we make stripers with that, but we do our crappies that way. Uh, Fred's uh, seasoning. Mm-hmm. We use uh, Fred's seasoning and we uh, put some of that on there. She uses olive oil. And we cook a lot of our fish that way. So our next episode is going to be a how to cook fish episode. Yeah. With Brad Wigman. <laughs> you should. Great. You should come out here and, and I'll be, I'll help you host that one as a co host because yeah. I can't. I can't cook. Like I'm allergic to grills, and so you're I allergic to grills. Yeah. What does that even mean? That means I don't cook on grill. I'm allergic. <laughs> Every time I get close, I start breaking out in a oh, sweat. Oh no, and, man! You know, it good. sounds like you have to do a lot of work. So I try yeah. and stay away from grills. Okay. In general, grills sound like okay. work. We won't bring a grill when we. Well, go. I mean, we have a grill. We okay. just have to get one of you guys to cook on. Well, I can man the grill. I'm good with that. I'm kind of a grill master. Yeah. See, look at that. We can, we can I do. think most men are grill masters, and and I would rather uh, tell stories and sit around and and do that. Yeah, 
and, instead of grill. You can so, do both. You can tell stories around the grill. I'd like to. Yeah, I'll, I will. I'll sit here. There you and go. And then you can cook. Yeah, I'll tell a story. Right you can tell a story. Yeah, there we go. We'll just swap And you stories. haven't been in my Vexus boat. We didn't even talk about my old Vex, my Vexus, no, which is about a year old, but uh, it is now fully rigged out with all the uh, new everything Lawrence has. I have on my boat. Okay, there you go. so is that the brand that you kind of go to? That's the brand that I'm running now. Yeah, on my boat. Yeah. So, but I know about the other units. Yeah. I mean, so you can do it all. Yeah, I can do it all. Cool. Okay. Cool. Well, Brad, thank you so much. Thanks for having us out to your place. Awesome place. Love being yeah. able to record in front of the water anytime That's we can. Right. Um, we appreciate your time. Appreciate being on the show, guys. Absolutely. All right. To our listeners, if y'all like this episode, make sure you share it with a buddy, share it on social media, and let us know you liked it by leaving the podcast a five-star rating or review. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is hosted by Kyle Veet, co-hosted by Adam Treese and Kyle Plunkett, and produced by Daniel Matthews. Thanks for listening. Until next time.